everyone. Welcome back to JCM Prepare the Way. My name is Carol and I just want to thank you for tuning in to a very important episode, The Falling Away. When was the last time you heard a sermon on the return of the Lord or a sermon on the falling away or any sermon on preparing for the end times? Perhaps it's because many of us teach that there will be no tribulation for Christians, that the Christians will be able to escape all of the trouble that will come upon the earth before the Antichrist. Well, decades ago in China, the Christians were told the same thing. They were told, don't worry, before the tribulation comes, you will be translated. You will be raptured out of here. But then terrible persecution came to their country persecution that felt like the tribulation, and millions of Christians were tortured to death. They were spiritually unprepared, and it didn't improve. Things only got worse to the point where one bishop finally said, we have failed. We should have made the people strong for persecution rather than telling them Jesus would come first. Tell the people how to be strong in times of persecution, how to stand when the tribulation comes, to stand and not faint. And that's what they've been doing in China ever since. An underground house church network mobilized and grew into 100 million people strong with preaching that lasts for hours and people walking miles to sit and read the Bible in secret with other believers or how they worship in secret when it's forbidden, how they pray without ceasing, knowing that if they're caught, they risk imprisonment or death. But one thing's for certain, they are prepared. They are standing and not fainting in fear. Since then, believers in China have been experiencing persecution, tribulation for decades. We in America, we in the West, We experience a few rough years and automatically assume that since it's hard for us, Jesus is coming soon. It's as if biblical prophecy is gauged on what happens in the West. Maybe he is coming soon, or not quite yet. Maybe we'll be in a struggle for decades, like our precious brothers and sisters in China, to get us ready for his arrival, right? Because after all, God is after a pure bride, spotless without blemish. And as strange as it might sound to us, trials, if necessary, are often the very beauty treatment he uses to make us ready. And so perhaps this shaking that we're all feeling is our wake-up call, much like China had, calling us to wake up. Wake up and prepare for what's coming to not assume we're going to get raptured out of here as they once did. Sure, we can hope for the best, but we need to be prepared for the worst, don't we? We need to get our prayer life together. We need to do deep studies of the Word of God together. Who knows? It just might come to the point in our own countries where we too will have an underground church network where it's nothing but preaching and worshiping and praying for hours, but we will be prepared to stand in the day of battle. You know, I got to thinking about all this because I was dropping something off at a donation center recently. And before I left, I asked the gal who was working if she needed prayer for anything. To my surprise, she immediately came up to me, tears in her eyes and said, yes. And she started to cry. She then said in a really urgent, almost desperate way, do I need to be baptized to be saved? Before I could answer her, she said something I wasn't expecting. I know that Jesus is coming soon. I asked her if she was a Christian because of what she just said, and she said no, but that she feels that something is coming because the world is not right. So then she asked, what do I need to do to be saved? By this point, we're both crying, and within 10 minutes, God is welcoming another born-again believer into his family. And she didn't have a Bible, so I dropped a Bible off to her and showed her how to navigate through it. 
And since then, we've met and talked several times. And you know what's interesting is when I see her and talk with her, she is truly a picture of that verse in Matthew 18 where it says, Except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. That's what she's like, an eager, excited child. And she's so grateful to Jesus for counting her worthy. That's what she says over and over, how thankful she is. And she's digging into her Bible, reading it and taking in every word as the bread of life that it is with childlike faith, meaning She's believing exactly what it says, and it's just so refreshing. It's so encouraging that someone comes to faith in Christ Jesus and considers the Bible so beautiful, so holy, and such a gift that they are literally pouring through the scriptures, drinking them in, both old and new, much like the people in China and other places in the world are doing now as well. And it reminds me of this old quote by Leonard Ravenhill when he said one time, someday someone is going to pick up this book and believe it and put us all to shame. And that really brings me to what we're talking about today. Are we living in the time, in the season before the return of Christ, as this woman believes? Is global persecution coming? It's not just her asking this question today either. Many are asking this question. You might be asking this questions. But I believe the Spirit of God, I believe the reason why these questions are coming is because the Spirit is stirring the hearts of many people with an unction to wake up. Get things right. Get your house in order spiritually. A shaking is here, my friends. There may have never been another time in history when end-time prophecy has been more aligned with the culture and circumstances of the world than it is today. We may have seen events occurring in pockets of the world on occasion, but now it's global, and we are all feeling the tension. And I understand. I know some of you are thinking, well, the world has always been changing. It has. I know it's sometimes it's much like a pendulum, right? Going back and forth and it's good and it's bad and it goes back to being good and goes back to being bad. I get it. However, right now, today, it appears to be growing more unstable and that pendulum isn't quite swinging back, is it? And a big part of that is because we are living in an age that the Bible foretold what happened. The age of apostasy, otherwise called the falling away. And it is one of the key signs the Bible lists that is promised to come right before the revealing of the son of perdition, the lawless one, the Antichrist. And that's why we need to be prepared. That's why we need to be reading our Bibles. And that's why it blessed me so much to have this woman dig right into her Bible and begin believing every word. So I want to read to you from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. This is where it addresses the falling away. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Notice what Paul was saying very plainly and simply here. That day, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ will not come Unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed. That's important because the verse continues. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs and lying wonders and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. 
And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now, when I hear Christians talk about the falling away, most times I'll hear them say a falling away from their faith in God. And that's true. But it means more than that. The actual Greek word for falling away is apostasia, which literally means defection from the truth. It means a revolt, apostasy. In ancient documents, this word was used primarily when describing political rebels. And that's what Paul is implying here in a way, using a military term, so to speak, to describe followers of Christ defecting from or revolting against God, which includes his word, his truth, because he, after all, is the word and the truth. You see, apostasy replaces what God says is true, right, and moral with what we deem to be true, right, and moral. Boy, don't we see that happening today. You know, in a strange kind of way, it's almost like we're making ourselves out to be like God, pulling rank on God. For some of us, if we don't agree with what the Bible says about something, we give ourselves permission to dismiss that command altogether, that it's outdated, that it's not for today. And so we're starting to use that word Christian kind of loosely, aren't we? For example, a person can call themselves a Christian and really not be born again. Or a person can call themselves a Christian and not believe the Bible. Or a person can call themselves a Christian and support unbiblical values. You see, apostasy is not a rise in atheism nor someone choosing one religion over the other. It's God's people turning their backs on him. In the last days, before the return of the Lord, friends, we will see people, including believers, moving further and further away from God and away from his word and away from biblical moral standards. And on the flip side, embracing the opposite. When this happens, the overall condition and thinking of humanity departs from their original state of being made in his image and likeness, right? Therefore, men departing from manhood, women departing from womanhood. Marriage will depart from the covenant of marriage as God created it. Family from the state of family as God created it. Children being treated less childlike. Aren't we seeing this right now with all of the demands of the children being trafficked? The foundational principles of godly living are rejected and replaced with more culturally acceptable practices and beliefs. Part of what it looks like when a Christian falls away is their embrace of a new set of moral standards defined by the world, not by God. In Jesus's end times discourse in Matthew 24, he lays out exactly what will occur before the return of the Son of Man. So I encourage you to read that and also encourage you to read Mark 13 and Luke 21. But in Matthew 24, particularly in verses 10 through 12, he says this, And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Many will be offended. That's the first thing. And shall betray one another and shall hate one another. To be offended in this verse means to entice to sin. It also means apostasy. It means having a stumbling block or an impediment of some kind put in the way upon which another person will stumble and fall. False doctrine, for example is becoming a stumbling block for people. And I've said this before in a different podcast. What about AI? Listening to a report about how AI is going to rewrite the Bible. Well, guess what? When AI rewrites and writes a new Bible, it'll use just enough language to sound convincing, almost like the original version. 
but it will become a stumbling block to those who do not have God's word hidden in their heart. Because people, if the word is not hidden in our heart, we will not be able to detect error. Offended here in this verse, it means to cause a person to distrust and desert one whom he ought to obey. And so for believers, it's to cause someone to distrust and desert God and his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, a revolt against him, a falling away, apostasy. And this is from Jesus's own mouth. Many will do this, he says. Many will entice us to sin. And it will be deception because it will be the enemy working through those people. And so it's going to be hard to detect for some of us. And then he says many will betray one another and hate one another. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Friends, I saw that just within this week. I had to go down to the DMV. And while I'm there, this precious older man collapses. And he's laying on the floor by the wall facing the window. And I looked around besides the security guard who came up and kind of stood over him to see if he was okay. No one did anything. People sat and stared at their phones and minded their own business. And I went over and sat with him and I asked him if he was okay. And he is sweating profusely. He, he looked incredibly uncomfortable I asked him if I could pray for him. He was very kind and very gracious. And the people at the counter weren't even coming around. They looked at me and asked me, does he need water? Something's terribly wrong with society, don't you think? When someone collapses in a public place and no one comes to help the person? This is what we're facing here. And so... This is, this is what Jesus is talking about. Many will betray one another. Many will hate one another. The love of many is growing cold. What do you think happened to the church in Germany during World War II? The state-run church became a go-along-to-get-along church, and they sold out to the German government. And when they did that, they betrayed the word-based Bible based church, the people who were following the word of God. Think about that. You had God's people, the body of Christ, completely divided based on their allegiance. I encourage you to read some biographies on what happened to Christians, the ones that were following the Bible and trying to do the right thing. They were betrayed by their own brethren. They were hated by their own brethren. So friends, we must be on guard. Guard your heart so this does not happen to you or to me. For from our hearts flow the issues of life. And so you may be asking yourself, well, gosh, where are people in the church offended today? Where where are believers? How are believers enticed to sin? Well, let me start with something called deconstructionism. Have you heard of people deconstructing their faith? That's a big word being tossed around today. And what it means is Christians are rethinking their faith and previously held beliefs. And what that does is it leads to a process of questioning, doubting, and ultimately rejecting aspects of their Christian faith. And this is taking place in pulpits, to seminaries, to Bible studies. People are going through a deconstruction of their faith. And one of the examples of this is their approach to the Bible. There is a rejection of God, of his word, being the infallible word of God. I was watching a little clip of an interview where the interview asked his guest, this young gal, I trust you're not a Christian. I don't know how their conversation had gone up into that point. But she interrupts him and says, I'm a Christian, actually. And he says to her, oh, do you believe what the Bible says? And she replies to him, no, no, I don't. But yet she's calling herself a Christian. How can that be? Well, it can be 
through deconstruction. Deconstruction is bringing a great confusion to the body of Christ today, where it's apparently okay to believe that we are a child of God, right? Bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, but yet where um, it's being supported that we can dismiss the words of our Lord altogether, the Bible, whether the Old Testament or the New Testament. When yet Jesus himself says in John 5, 46, For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. Or Luke 24, 44, when Jesus says that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. So Jesus is verifying that the whole entire scriptures are about him, but yet we're rejecting them. We're also rejecting uh, the doctrine of hell is another example of deconstructionism. People do not believe in hell. Pull up our podcast, What is Hell? to learn more. There's also a rejection of biblical marriage and a rejection of biblical sexuality. And so what's happening is we're taking biblical truths, deconstruction, deconstructing them, and then repackaging them in a way that feels good to us. It feels unoffensive now. It feels acceptable. Oh, that feels better. That feels more loving, right? Do you know anybody like that? Do you know people that are doing this? They don't like the truth of Scripture and how it can cut sometimes. And so we're reframing it in a way that suits us. There again, in a weird kind of way, giving us our almost our own God complex, right? But Jesus says in Matthew 24, many will be offended before his return. And what are they offended at? They're offended at him. He's the word. He's narrow. And that offends people because to truly follow Christ is to go through the narrow gate. His word is a stumbling block, not just to the world, but now to many Christians. Even Christian teachers are deviating from the Holy Scriptures, all because his word is narrow and they're offended. But yet it says very clearly in Matthew chapter 7, narrow is the way that leads to life. But it's difficult, and few find it. Few people find this narrow path. But then he goes on to say, broad is the path that leads to destruction, and many go in by it. And boy, isn't that the case today? Because broad feels safe to many people. Broad feels accepted. And I tell you, friends, that broad road, it's going to be a snare even to the elect of God, if we're not careful. So if you are sitting under someone teaching only feel-good Christianity, for example, moralistic, therapeutic deism, subtly deconstructing God's word to embrace things he detests in an effort to appear loving, they're deceived teachers, and they're deceiving you. You better be ready to run, and I mean run fast. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, it opens up by saying this. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. To depart from the faith here means revolt, to desert, to fall away. That's what the Spirit is saying is going to happen in the latter times. But it's going to be subtle. It's going to be so subtle, and it's already subtle today, where many Christians are already starting to fall away into deception of false gospels and can't even see it. For example, they're falling into the deception of the feel-good gospel, or they're falling into the deception of the gospel of deconstruction, or they're falling into the deception of a New Age gospel, or a gospel that is all about entertainment. Friends, 
the only true shepherd of your soul is Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who gave his life for his sheep. No one else has given their life for you but him. But a hireling is not a shepherd. A hireling doesn't own the sheep. And so when he sees the wolf coming, he leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. And I think that's what's happened for the last couple of decades. We've been following a bunch of hirelings and they have not stayed there to protect the sheep. And the wolves have come in now and snatched up the the sheep with all this deceiving doctrine. And now God's people are running to and fro and don't know what to believe. These false shepherds have not prepared the people to stand in the day of battle. And I mean spiritual battle, because friends, that's what we're up against right now. We're up against a spiritual battle, a spiritual war. And most Christians I know don't know how to fight it. And many sheep are caught in this snare, just like they were in the early days of China, before the shepherds finally said over there, we will not be deceived again, and prepared the people. That's what we need. We need shepherds right now who are preparing the people to stand. Yes, I know. Jesus is absolute pure love. There is no doubt about it. He is holy, pure, amazing love. He is our faith, our blessed assurance. He is our hope, our future. He is preparing a new home for us as we speak right now. And it is absolutely glorious. But do not forget this. He is holy. Holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who is and was and is to come. And a holy God is not to be trifled with. Whoever you are sitting under, be sure you are being taught a balanced view of God. Whoever you are sitting under, make sure they hold high regard and reverence and fear of the Lord for his holiness. Because it says in Romans chapter 11, verses 22 to 23, behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God. On them, the Jews, which fell, severity. But toward you, you and me, Gentiles, goodness, if you continue in his goodness. Otherwise, you also shall be cut off. It's a pretty powerful statement. Paul is making a critical point in Romans chapter 11. Believers were getting haughty about their salvation. They were haughty towards the Jews. Believers today are still haughty towards the Jews. And Paul makes it very clear. Beware. Beware. Your haughtiness, taking your position in the olive tree for granted, can get you cut off too. What did God say to backsliding Israel in Jeremiah 2.19? Your own wickedness will correct you, and your apostasies will reprove you. Know therefore and see that it is evil and bitter for you to forsake the Lord your God, and the dread of me is not in you. Wow. Wow. The dread of me is not in you. There was no fear of the Lord. They were making God a laughing stock, trying to worship in the temple And then also go and worship the false gods around them, which is precisely what's happening today. And this is actually repeated a little bit different in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 29 to 31, when it says this, Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing? And insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. That's a powerful, powerful verse too, isn't it? He's speaking to Christians because he's talking about people who were sanctified. Listen, church, I implore you, please, 
I don't know where you are in your faith or what your view is on the scriptures, but I implore you, take the scriptures seriously. Do not count the blood covenant from which you were purchased a small thing. It is not a get out of hell free card. It is a precious, precious, the highest gift God could have given. Like with the Israelites coming out of Egypt, he redeemed them first, then he taught them how to live through his laws. Well, the same is true with us, Christ followers. We're redeemed first, then we're taught how to live. But we have to follow what the Bible says on how we are to live. And a lot of us aren't doing that. And when we don't, we insult his spirit of grace. And so the writer encourages them, recall the former days after you were illuminated. If you're struggling in your faith, try to remember what you felt like when you first got saved. Oh my golly, when I first got saved, it it was like someone took a big veil off my head and I could see for the very first time. And then I realized I was starving, but still, I, I could see and I was so excited. And all I wanted to do was start to learn the Bible and and understand things like I'd never understood them before. If you're struggling, recall that time in your life when you first became born again. Recall your baptism. Remember what you felt. If some of you are questioning your faith or unsure of what you believe anymore, I encourage you truly from the deepest place in my heart to reconsider. Ask yourself, what is causing the doubt? Is it stemming from fear? Are you not seeing prayers answered? Or is there a person that is planting bad seed in you? I don't know. But I do know this. There are many Christians out there willing to step in and meet you where you are and encourage you and help you. And I bet if you think really hard right now, you can think of a few people off the top of your head that you can call. Start meeting with them. Because you see, I say that with with the deepest place in my heart because Right here, right now, what I'm about to say, we're given a very sobering warning about falling away that I think we need to really understand. And so I'm going to read you out of Hebrews chapter 6, 1 through 8. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good uh, word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away, It is impossible to renew them again to repentance since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. Wow. Wow. God is not looking for a fair-weathered friend. He uses this word impossible multiple times in Hebrews when he says, It's impossible for the blood of animals to take away sin, or it's impossible for God to lie, or it's impossible for anyone to please God without faith. But in this verse, he is saying it is impossible to renew those who have fallen away from the faith. Anyone, and this is how serious the falling away is going to be for us, you guys, Anyone who has chosen to defect, to revolt, to commit apostasy, it's impossible to renew them after they have fallen away. I'm not talking about a backslidden Christian. That's different. We sin and can backslide sometimes, and then we repent, and then we're cleansed, and then we're back at it. That's all about sanctification. That's not forsaking God. This is different. This is apostasy. This is rebellion against God, rebellion against his word. And it is impossible to renew those who have fallen away from the faith, those who have committed apostasy. Why? Because they were once enlightened. 
They were illuminated by Christ. In this verse, that means they have full knowledge of the truth. They also tasted the heavenly gift. That means they experienced the gift of eternal life. They also became partakers of the Holy Spirit. That means they shared in the Holy Spirit and also the powers of the age to come. They got a taste of the miraculous dunamis power of God that is housed within them. And so the writer says, having fallen away, it is impossible now to renew them. The fact that there is no hint of a conditional element in the Greek text argues against a hypothetical interpretation of the passage, which a lot of people try to do. Well, it actually means this. No, it doesn't. Falling away here refers to deliberate apostasy, a defection from the faith. And it says, you know, you can't renew them again since they would be crucifying again for themselves. It's selfish. It's pride. They would be crucifying again for themselves, the Son of God, which would put him to open shame, almost like the first time wasn't enough, almost like saying, all that stuff you just gave me, eternal life, the Holy Spirit, the enlightenment, the illumination, the power, eh, wasn't good enough for me the first time. Then they go and dabble and do all, do all kinds of things. They fall away. They reject God. And then when they realize every other place is a dead end and try to come back, it's impossible. If we can't appreciate what we've got the first time, friends, there isn't a second time. And like I said, that's different than backsliding. But this is a really, really important warning that we need to heed to restore To renew means to restore us. And so what this is implying is it's it's impossible for continuous effort on the part of anyone in the Christian community, community to restore an apostate back to fellowship with God. Take your faith seriously. Take his word seriously. This is the reason for the strong warning in Hebrews 3, 3. Beware, brethren lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. It's evil. It's considered an evil heart of unbelief when we depart from the living God. That's why he says, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. The writer goes on to say, we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. Steadfast to the end. That's the key, friends, making it to the end. Just because things are getting hard in the world, or maybe, maybe you have a hard time understanding providential decisions God makes that are outside of your worldview. (laughs) It is no excuse for forsaking the Lord, for committing apostasy. There's no turning back from that. As I see it, as I read it, as I understand it in my simple little brain, do everything you need to do first, everything you need to do to hold fast to your faith. Pray, seek his face, read his word, meet with wise counsel. Because it says, if today you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion. What happened in the rebellion? Well, they heard, they saw, and they rebelled. And Hebrews chapter 3 goes on to say, wasn't it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Yes. With whom God was angry for 40 years? Yes. Was it not those who sinned, whose corpses ended up falling in the wilderness out of their unbelief? Yes. And whom God swore would not enter his rest? Why? Because they did not obey him. They rebelled against him. They could not enter the promised land because of unbelief. (laughs) So what it goes on to say about us, therefore, since a promise remains for us, you and me, of entering the rest, the promised land, right? Heaven, let us fear, 
We better look at this in awestruck wonder, friends, lest any of you seem to have come short of it, he says. So then he says, be diligent to the full assurance of hope until the end. Watch yourselves that you don't become sluggish. Don't give up. Don't get lazy in your faith, but rather imitate those through faith, imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. In other words, who do you know around you who is patiently enduring? Who is a good example in your life of faith? Who is holding fast to the word of God? Who shows great humility and courage to stand for what is right, even if it's hard? That's who you imitate. People like that, through faith and patience, who are inheriting the promise of God. Friends, we cannot grow sluggish. There's no excuse. If we've been a Christian a long time, there's no excuse why you do not know your Bible when it's so readily available to you here in the West. There's no excuse for me to not know the Bible. No excuse. We have to make time. It has to be important to us. It's, there's nothing else that is going to conform our mind with the bombardment of the garbage that is hitting us every day. One day, I fear, we're going to really need the word and it just might not be available to us anymore. So we need to make sure we are reading it and meditating on it and hiding it in our heart. We'll sit all day, hours at a time, and scroll through TikTok or Reels on Instagram, right? Or we may only pop, pop open our Bibles for a few minutes devotional. And I'm not, I'm not criticizing devotionals. Don't hear me on that. I don't mind devotionals as long as they take you into the word with an effort to keep you in the word. It's not about the person who wrote the devotional. It's not about their interpretation of it. You want someone that's going to take you in the word and keep you in the word. And then you dig in into that passage, into the fuller context of its meaning. Because friends, that's what we're facing today. A great falling away. Apostasy is not talking about the rise of atheism. I may have said that earlier, or someone choosing another religion over Christianity, but the apparent Christian who claims to follow Christ, but then turns their back on him and their back on his truth. Now, I know we like to quote, now the just shall live by faith, right? And that's true. But do you know what comes after that? Now the just shall live by faith, but... If any man draws back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. Hebrews 10, 38. You know what that means to draw back? It means to cower, to conceal. It's being remiss in holding the truth, being asleep on the job, being negligent with this treasure that you have that we are to impart to people. If we know the truth, and we're withholding it, God has no pleasure in us. If any man has the truth but is negligent in it or twisting it, the Lord has no pleasure in him. No matter what someone tells you, no matter how popular that person is, I'm afraid that's what we're hanging our hat on so much today is this popularity contest. And yet God has no pleasure in someone like that because he is truth himself. So to withhold what we don't like about the word of God is actually withholding God himself from speaking through you. Ooh. That means we're quenching the spirit, grieving the spirit. And you know where the spirit comes? From the Father. There's a verse I like to quote in Isaiah 51, 7 to 8. Whenever sometimes the fear of man gets the better of me, but it says this. Listen to me, you who know righteousness, you people in whose heart is my law. Do not fear the reproach of man, nor be afraid of their insults. For the moth will eat them up like a garment, and the worm will eat them like wool. But my righteousness will be forever, and my salvation from generation to generation. So friend, do not fear man. It goes on a few verses later after that to say, do not fear man who will die. Fear the Lord. Therefore, Peter says, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall 
from your own steadfastness. 2 Peter 3, 7. We have to be on guard from falling. And if that means for some of you out there stepping away from certain individuals or environments to preserve your steadfastness, that's what you got to do. Because the single greatest tragedy we as believers are facing in this world today, the single greatest, is compromising Christianity. We must be careful not to repeat the same mistakes as World War II Germany, becoming a church that has turned away from its foundations, turned away from its beginnings, still using the term Christian, even though it's looking more and more like a harlot church, watered down, half-truths, just believe and get saved, nothing of repentance, nothing of godly sorrow, nothing about turning from your sins, nothing about the blood of Jesus, nothing about taking up your cross and following him. Rather, believing we can do anything we want, twist God's word into anything we want. And I'm going to tell you, that is not of God. That is of the devil. And that deception taking you down the hallway is not taking you to heaven. It is time to wake up. Wake up. Wake up. It's time we have got to be a voice in the wilderness to prepare a highway for our God. The fields are white for the harvest. No more grappling for the wind. Because the falling away, it comes before the revealing of the Antichrist. And when he comes, he will deceive with power, signs, and lying wonders. And all those who did, did not love the truth, God will give over to a strong delusion to believe the lie. And things will get really, really ugly. So friend, dig in deeper to your faith. Read and really study the word of God so that you can discern between the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. For if we are not careful, even the elect will be deceived. I want to close by playing something for you. It was actually from 22 years ago. Um, it's a recording. You can find it on YouTube. It's called uh, Run. I think Run, Church of God Run or Run. Anyway, and it's by Carter Conlon, C-O-N-L-O-N. But on the first Sunday following the tragedy of September 11, 2001, Carter Conlon delivered a soul-stirring message at Times Square Church in Manhattan. And this, and if what he is saying, this is only a five-minute clip, four-minute clip. If what he's saying here 22 years ago uh, was true then, think of how much more true it is now. So God bless you. I'm going to bless you now. And I'm going to close out with this five-minute little thing on run. Listen to me like you've never listened to me, ever in your life. We have got to lay our lives down for the purposes of God. This is not a Sunday school picnic, the Church of Jesus Christ. This is not an invitation to have continuous good times. This is a war for the souls of men. Come out from among them. Run for your life. Because this is about your life. It's not just about an opposing theology or conflicting viewpoint on Jesus. This is about your life. My mind is forever branded with the story that I heard of police officers from the city of New York. As, as people were fleeing from a crumbling building, there were police officers and firemen and others that were running towards the building saying, run for your life at their own peril. And in some cases, I believe they knew they were going to die, but there was a sense of duty. I was crying out to God. I said, God, oh, Jesus, don't let my sense of duty be less for your kingdom than these beloved firemen and policemen were for those that are perishing in a falling tower. We're living in a generation when truth is falling into the streets. I want to be among those that are not running away from the conflict, but running into the conflict and say, run for your life. 
Run! From Gospels that focus only on success and prosperity, run! Run! From those who use the name of Christ only for his personal gain. Run from those that are picking your pocket in the name of Jesus. Run! Run from Gospels that only focus on self-improvement. Run! Run from churches where men and not Christ are glorified. Run! Run! Body of Christ, run! Get out! Don't touch the unclean thing! Run! From churches in America and Canada where there is no Bible! There's no cross in the theology. There's no soul-searching word. There's no repentance from sin. There's no mention of the blood of Jesus. Run! It's unclean. Run! Run from churches where you're comfortable in your sins. If you come into the house of God and you've got sin in your life and you're not convicted of it, you're at a table of devils. Run from pulpits that are filled with political men who are using the pulpit of God for a personal political agenda. Run! Run from those who preach division between races and cultures. Run! Run! Get out! Turn it off! Get away from it! They know nothing of God. Run! from ungodly, spasmodic movements and endless, empty prophesying. Beloved church, run for your life. Run from preachers that stand and tell stories and jokes. Run like you've never run before.